Welcome back to the Richard Roper Podcast. I am Richard E. Roper. That's my handle on Twitter, by the way. It's at Richard E. Roper is my Twitter handle, not Richard Roper. Uh, and that's R-O-E-P-E-R. I mentioned that at the top of the podcast because there's a kid by the name of Richard Roper with a different spelling. I say kid, he's I, he's a college student. He might be out now. Uh, who contacted me a couple of years ago, and he he had like 2,000 followers, and he said 1,950 of them are yelling at me about movies and talking to me about my, my... So he at one point put in his Twitter handle, not the film critic. Hello to my friend, uh, Richard Roper across the pond. But again, it's Richard E. Roper. This is the Richard Roper Podcast. Uh, when the critic is criticized is the theme of today's podcast. We're going to turn the tables and the microphone and everything else inward a little bit and talk about a couple of things happening in the world of movies. Uh, a while ago, um, the Oscars were going, so I didn't have a chance to, to get to this, but I, I still want to respond to Seth Rogen's comments. You may have heard him talking about movie critics. And now we have word that one of our greatest filmmakers is going to make a movie about a movie critic, if you can believe it. All of that and much, much more coming up. But first, here's your reminder. The Richard Roper Show is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. The digital landscape is changing rapidly. And to compete in today's online business environment, you need an experienced partner. Since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes, offering web design, web development, e-commerce, mobile apps, and digital marketing to drive your overall business's success because they believe that today's online world is your online opportunity. Visit AmericanEagle.com to get started today. I am in the beautiful AmericanEagle.com studios right now in the greater Chicagoland area as we speak. All right, let's get right to it. Quentin Tarantino, this is the story from The Hollywood Reporter. Quentin Tarantino is back maybe for the last time. I'm the one that said maybe. They're saying for the last time. The filmmaker behind some of the most indelible movies of the past three decades is putting together what sources say is being billed as his final movie. The name of the script, the working title, is The Movie Critic. He's prepping to direct this fall, according to sources. Details, of course, are being held tight, as they always are, with the Tarantino film. But sources are telling The Hollywood Reporter the story is set in the late 1970s in Los Angeles with a female lead at its center. Uh, the speculation is that this is going to focus on Pauline Kael. Now, some of you uh, younger listeners might not know that name or people that aren't really, really huge, huge, huge insider film fans. Pauline Kael uh, was this monumentally influential uh, critic. She was also an essayist. She wrote novels in the 70s, in the, in the 60s and 70s. Pauline Kael's reviews were incredibly influential. Uh, I read every, she, there would be book collections. I used to go to the, the Chicago Public Library and check out the books back in the day when you could do that. You can still do that, right? You can still check out books from the library, of course. To be honest with you, I, I, lo I was a huge fan of Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel, just like everybody else. Uh, but Pauline Kael had a certain style of writing that was absolutely spectacular. And it was kind of in keeping with the... Uh, the kind of new journalism that was coming out in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s, uh, Gay Talese and a lot of other uh, writers who pioneered this kind of new style. Tom Wolfe with The Right Stuff was a super influential book where the, where the writing was, was flowery and uh, very descriptive and very personal. And um, 
really kind of you know, amazing, amazing use of the language. And Pauline Kale, even if you disagreed with her, I would read her reviews and go, holy shit. She's a great writer. Also, uh, famously, notoriously difficult. I remember hearing stories from people. This was before, long before I was high school and then college, but people who knew her, older critics and people in the business talking about how in New York, she had this whole posse of sycophants and associates and they'd go to screenings and she would be very vocal during the screenings, hooting and hollering and heckling, which would not play well today. I can tell you right now that uh, from the time I started going to screenings in Chicago when Gene and Roger were in their prime, uh, they very rarely have ever said anything. Once in a while, a quick comment, uh, but that's about it. But that was Pauline Kael's style and she infuriated, but also intimidated and terrified a lot of studio executives. And it was Warren Beatty, who was a genius in more ways than one, who came up with the idea of getting a studio to hire her. That way she couldn't be a film critic anymore. So in the late 1970s, Pauline Kael actually worked as a consultant, a higher upper, a higher upper, higher up for uh, Paramount. And it was uh, Warren Beatty who sort of coordinated that. Uh, and it seems like it might be about that. The Tarantino film might have something to do with all of that. I'm sure it's going to have a lot more going on and a lot of revisionist history. I mean, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was set in a very specific time period in Los Angeles, and we had real-life characters, and obviously, first and foremost, the entire uh, Spawn Ranch and the Manson family, but obviously what happens in the movie did not happen in real life. Too bad, but it, it didn't. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what Quentin does with this story. If you look up Pauline Kale and the clips of her on the internet, if it is really going to be a story about a Pauline Kale or, or fictionalized version of her, uh, Meryl Streep is by far the almost too obvious choice uh, to play her. And you'll see what I mean if you look up Pauline Kale. But listen, there's already been talk that maybe Jessica Chastain is going to take the role. Uh, a lot of other actors uh, being mentioned. But here's the deal. This is maybe going to be Quentin Tarantino's last movie. You know, for a very, very long time, Quentin Tarantino has said he would make 10 movies total. Uh, he's made nine, if you count the two Kill Bill movies as one. And he's long said he's going to make 10 movies and retire at 60. In 2012, Quentin Tarantino, this was in a uh, Playboy interview, he told uh, the interviewer, I want to stop at a certain point. Directors don't get better as they get older. Usually the worst films in their filmography are those that uh, those last four at the end. I'm all about my filmography. One bad film bucks up three good ones. I don't want that bad out-of-touch comedy in my filmography, the movie that make people think has people thinking, oh, man, he did it. Uh, he's just not what he used to be. He still thinks it's 20 years ago. When directors get out of date, said Tarantino, it's not pretty. And listen, he's not wrong. Uh, there are some cases of some great, great directors, and I'm, I'm talking dating all the way back to the pioneers and the masters from the 30s and 40s. And then by the 60s, they were making films that were not great. But I would also say to Quentin, first of all, I, I hope he reconsiders and keeps making movies because 60 is the new 40 anyway these days. But I would also say to Quentin Tarantino, my friend, Quentin, you look at Clint Eastwood, uh, you look at Martin Scorsese, Steven Spielberg, to name just a few who are well past 60 and their filmographies over, you know, past the age of 60 are Incredibly impressive. Steven Spielberg just received multiple Oscar nominations for The Fablemans. Uh, he's at the top of his game. So it's up to Quentin. I don't know what he would do next. I, I feel like he would not stop being creative, even if he stopped directing movies, that he would uh, be the showrunner on uh, TV streaming series, 
maybe hosts some stuff. Uh, he famously, of course, loves to be in his own movies and has been in some other folks' movies. But I would, I would hope that he would not stop being creative. You know, I, I'll point to the, uh, the great Steven Soderbergh, who has been saying for about 15 years now that he's done and then has been one of the most prolific television and film producers and directors that we have. Anyway, that is the case, uh, we hope, with uh, Quentin Tarantino. But kind of interesting that he's talking about, or the talk is, the centerpiece of this next film is going to be about a critic. I thought we'd talk a little bit uh, before the break. After the break, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my own experiences uh, being on both sides of the critic aisle. I think I have a unique perspective that only a few people in the history of this particular occupation have really experienced. But, you know, you think about it, uh, I know there have been some movies where there have been movie critics. And, of course, uh, there was the animated series The Critic, John Lovitz, uh, which was clearly influenced by Roger Ebert. Uh, he, Jay Sherman was the character. There was an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm called The Grand Opening. If you follow Curb's uh, various story arcs, this was back when they were re- uh, opening the restaurant. And there was a uh, food critic. I think the character's name was Andy Portico. And his whole thing was thumbs up and thumbs down, which obviously, again, was Larry having some fun with the whole uh, Cisco and Ebert and then Ebert and Roper uh, technique of thumbs up, thumbs down, and the critic got his thumbs broken, and there's there's a whole uh, storyline there. But uh, th- that was a food critic. And when I looked uh, kind of through the history of movies that feature characters who are critics, it's much more often food critics, restaurant critics, uh, than movie critics. Uh, I've just watched Chef uh, the other day. Uh, that's the Jean Favreau movie from a dozen years ago, I guess. You know, he plays the... Uh, He's very good in this, by the way, Favreau. He plays this chef who's very talented, but mercurial and temperamental. You know, he looks like one of these guys from from these reality cooking shows. Dustin Hoffman is the, I think, the owner of the restaurant. And uh, Oliver Platt, the great Oliver Platt, uh, plays a, a food critic who eviscerates John Favreau's character. And then Favreau goes off on him in the restaurant one of the great tangents against a critic of any kind in movie history. I've been waiting to talk to this prick for a long time. Okay. I am not cloying. I am not needy. I don't care what you think. You're not getting to me. I'm not needy. Chocolate lava cake is not just undercooked chocolate cake. That's not what makes the center molten. You take a frozen cylinder of ganache and you set it in the ramekin so that as the outside cooks fully, the inside becomes molten. Okay. It's fucking molten, see? It's fucking molten, you asshole. And you don't do anything. What do you do? You sit and you eat and you vomit those words back to make people laugh. You know how hard I work for this shit? Do you know how my whole staff works? What sacrifices it make to make you happy and then you just smugly just fucking shit on my shit? It hurts. Yes. It fucking hurts when you write that shit. It hurt you. It does. It does. He was, you th- he thought he was going to close his fucking restaurant down. You asshole. And what do you do? You just write shit to make, you just make shit up. My shit was molten. It's fucking molten, asshole. Really good stuff there. I, I also love the fact that, uh, and I, yes, I love John Favreau. He's a great guy. But this is one of those movies that says, that really reminds you that it's still in a lot of ways, it has been a, 
a man's world because in in the world of chef uh john favreau's ex is played by sofia vergara and then there's a possible love interest with uh, scarlett johansson just saying good for him uh, i also recently rewatched uh uh burnt which i was not a huge fan of when it first came out but have really come to like that's bradley cooper as the burnt out chef Uma Thurman, sorry, Uma Thurman. Speaking of Quentin Tarantino and his movies, uh, Uma Thurman plays a famed food critic by the name of Simone uh, Burnt. I, I really like because it, it does remind me of uh, The Bear, the great FX show that's uh, in production right now here in Chicago on season number two. But it has that same rapid fire, crazed, uh, cool look to it and great performances. Uh, then recently, last year, we had the movie The Menu, the horror comedy. Janet McDeer played a restaurant critic. All About Eve, there was a theater critic character. And of course, uh, Joseph Cotton was a drama critic in Citizen Kane. So there have been movies and TV shows with critic characters. Uh, but, you know, Tarantino's going to do something uh, very different and probably very special. Uh, we'll see what happens with uh, The Critic. All right, why don't we take a quick break? Talk about Portillo's and we'll be back soon. All right, let's talk about Portillo's. Now, they, of course, are known for their famous Chicago hot dogs with all the freshest and tastiest ingredients, right down to that poppy seed bun. And then, of course, there's the legendary chocolate cake. If you're hearing this right now, that means you are alive and near a computer. That's all you got to be. That's all you need to go to Portillo's.com and check out their entire selection of stuff you can get anywhere in these United States of America. Now, if you're blessed enough to live near a Portillo's, then you don't have to worry about getting online. Just go to the store, get the hot dogs, get the Italian beef, the salads, the chicken. They got it great. And then, of course, the chocolate cake, the single greatest item of all chocolate cake items in the history of of humanity you think i'm overstating that i am not go and find out yourself go to the store order online unbelievable the chocolate cake and they even have a cake shake they take the cake they smoosh it into a can with some super cool ingredients i don't know they do a bunch of stuff there's ice cream and all of a sudden you got a chocolate cake shake when it comes out of the blender it's the best it is a unique dining experience every time go to portillos.com find a location near you you can order online p-o-r-t-i-l-l-o-s portillos.com welcome back to the richard roper podcast we've been talking about quentin tarantino and his next movie which is reportedly going to be titled the movie critic and uh, in keeping in that same vein in the podcast this week, talk uh, a little bit about what it means to be a movie critic and when the critics are critiqued. And this was a, a week or two ago, Seth Rogen was on a podcast and talked, I thought with, you know, uh, and this is one of the reasons I like Seth Rogen, you know, there's, I don't want to say there's no filter because everybody in his position, they think sometimes about what they're going to say, but whether you've heard him on Howard Stern or other shows, you know, he is who he is. Uh, Seth Rogen was being very honest about getting high before it was completely legal and more socially acceptable to get high. So anyway, on this uh, podcast, The Diary of a CEO with Stephen Bartlett, Seth Rogen said that criticism, he, he said, you know, it, when you get bad reviews, he said it sucks. I think if most critics knew how much it hurt the people they're writing about, they'd be second guessing the way they write these things. He said that harsh reviews are devastating. He goes, uh, Rogan actually said, I know people who never recover. It's devastating when you are being like institutionally told that your personal expression was bad 
that is just devastating. He's talking in, in particular about the 2011 superhero comedy, The Green Hornet, uh, which was uh, the subject of scathing reviews, including from yours truly, and 2014's The Interview, which I actually kind of liked. But Seth says, I honestly think things like The Interview were more like painful as far as like people really taking joy and kind of questioning the types of people that would want to make a movie like that. Now, listen, There's, a, I feel for, for Seth Rogen, and I get what he's saying, and I think there is some validity to what he's saying here. And I, I, I've made it my practice, guys, through the years to not really comment on other critics other than very rare occasions. But so without getting into names, I think, you know, there, there are some critics out there who, and listen, it's a, it's a new day and there are different types of websites and, and obviously podcasts and vlogs, you name it, who get personal, uh, who probably do get into areas where, you know, they take shots at the filmmakers. I try really, really hard not to do that. If you read my reviews and I, you know, listen, I've done 10,000 plus reviews over the last quarter century plus, whether for radio, TV, or, you know, obviously in, in, I shouldn't say obviously, but my primary gig remains with the Chicago Sun-Times. And if you read my reviews, you'll note, I think that I, I stick to talking about the film, about the direction, about the editing, the, the writing, the acting. And when it comes to the technical jobs, when it comes to the behind the scenes work, if I'm not a huge fan of the screenplay, I, I don't normally single out the credited writers because I, I know a lot of people who work in the business and I've heard from certain credited screenwriters who, whose names are on the screenplay and I've ripped the movie and they said, I'm glad you did because that's got nothing to do, very little connection to what I originally wrote because sometimes there can be six, eight, 10, 12, 14, 25 rewrites of a movie with different writers on board. Uh, if the wigs and the costumes and the hair aren't great, I usually don't single out th those individuals. If it's great, then I do get into, I like to mention by name a lot of the artists behind the scenes, but I, I try not to get into, you know, reaching out and saying the editor whose name is blah, blah, blah. It's really clunky. I'll, I'll, I'll talk about the editing, but not the individual. As far as the writers and directors and stars of the movies, of course, their work is fair game. Their work. That's what we're here for. My reviews, guys, my reviews are not for people in the industry. I, I'm very humbled and grateful that I hear from people in the industry all the time who read me, who uh, consider my opinions valuable. But I'm writing my reviews the same way I did when I was on the show with Roger Ebert on this podcast when we talk about reviews and my written reviews. They're for you. They're for the viewers. They're for you to decide based in part on what I'm saying, whether or not you want to see a movie. And sometimes I'll rip a comedy or a horror film or a superhero movie. And the reasons I give, I'll hear from people, that's exactly why I want to see that movie. That's fine. That's cool. You know, if I gave you some information, but that's, it's all about whether or not you should spend your hard-earned time and hard-earned free time and your hard-earned money on a movie or a streaming series, whatever the case may be. Now, some of the reactions to Seth Rogen. And again, people, some people are immediately like, oh, he's whining. He wasn't whining. He, he did make it clear he knows that's part of the business. Uh, I think he was being very honest in, in saying that, listen, these really hurt. I've heard from a lot of filmmakers and actors who will tell me off the record that this review of mine really hurt or that review by somebody else really mattered. And then you'll see them on the talk show circuit and they'll tell Jimmy Fallon or Jimmy Kimmel 
or somebody like that, they'll say, oh, I never read the reviews. And, and I once had a young actor at Sundance. Uh, we went out and had more than a couple of drinks. And he told me at one point, he goes, listen, man, any actor who tells you they don't read reviews or don't watch uh, you and Roger on TV or don't pay attention to the box office because they're full of shit. He goes, of course they do. Because I don't believe anybody. Now, listen, maybe there are some actors who don't read reviews, but I think most of them do. So Seth Rogen at least was being honest. Now, William Bibiani, who's a podcaster and movie critic, uh, said, I feel for Seth Rogen, I really do, but critics are deluged with criticism constantly. We're called hacks, we're called out of touch, we're called corrupt. We don't just get that response from negative reviews, we also catch hell when we like things other people don't. Now, William is absolutely correct here, but I would say to my colleague, and I, I've not met William, but I, I think he's terrific, um, there's a huge difference between being a critic who gets ripped on social media, who gets nasty emails, who you know hears negativity in that respect, as opposed to when you're fronting a major motion picture and the criticism, it, it reaches exponentially more readers and viewers. I think there's a big difference between, you know, five people on Twitter or even a hundred, you know, trolls telling you your reviews suck as opposed to millions of people reading or hearing or watching reviews. So, you know, I think there's a different perspective here in terms of what most critics, yeah, I, almost any critic is going to hear, you know, your reviews suck. Uh, you're completely wrong. You're going to get emails. You're going to get uh, DMs. You're, you know, if you've got Twitter, you know, people are going to troll you there. But it's it's a drop in the bucket compared to when a movie comes out and Rotten Tomatoes is aggregating 200 reviews, and it's everything from, you know, newspapers in Sydney and London and uh, across the pond elsewhere, and then the New York Times and the trades and everything. That's that's a much bigger splash that uh, reviews make. Uh, now, uh, film critic uh, Noah Gattel, I hope I said that right, Noah, said, Seth Rogen is right that critics can be mean just for fun sometimes. I'm guilty of it myself. We should do better. But he's off the mark when he suggests critics don't know what it's like to be criticized. We are artists. We write books. We make films. And criticism is art. I think that's absolutely uh, correct. Again, I don't think, and I, in most cases, and I say this with all due respect, and I, I understand that people get a lot of feedback, there's a huge difference between being a film critic and receiving some criticism, even if you write books and you're on, you know, podcasts and stuff and being a major motion picture star. Of course, there's also a huge difference in the pay and the fame and the glory. So, uh, you know, I, we have to keep that in mind as well. And I, want, I just want to pivot a little bit and say that, uh, again, with all due respect, and there are a lot of great critics out there. And I think most of them, by the way, do not take cheap shots, do not get personal uh, do not take delight in the failure of artists. I think most people who get into this business, whether it's critiquing music or food or movies, streaming, it's because we love that particular thing, whatever it is, and we're fans of it. I Every screening I go into, I'm rooting for it. I know some movies probably going in are not going to be great, but I want them to be, and I take no joy. I see sometimes people, oh, I'm so glad this movie or that movie bombed. I don't, I don't take any joy in that. I also want to remind folks, that something that I think a lot of us forget is that, you know, there are a small handful of people who are working on a movie who are making millions upon millions of dollars. And the vast majority of people working on the movie are not making millions upon millions of dollars. They, they have good jobs and they work hard, but you know, everything from the electricians to craft services to all the assistants that are running around doing everything to props and 
lighting, all of that stuff. These are, you know, there's a reason why these are union jobs. These are hard jobs. These are 12 hour day jobs. Uh, you know, there was a famous thing from a year or so ago where Dwayne, what Dwayne, the rock Johnson, Dwayne Johnson's a great guy, but he had wrapped a movie and he goes, that's it for me. I'm going off into the sunset. And people noted that just because he had finished his last scene doesn't mean that the movie had wrapped. There's a lot more work to be done. So, you know, we got to keep that in mind as well. But I do want to say this, uh, just from my own personal standpoint, guys, um, I think I do have a unique perspective in that I'm a critic who knows what it's like to be the subject of really widely distributed criticism on a, on a much bigger level than people trolling you on Twitter or sending you emails or, you know, putting something in the comment section on your podcast. And this of course is because I had the experience of being on a nationally syndicated television show with, with the great Roger Ebert and, you know, Cisco and Ebert had already become a cultural institution by the time I joined the show. I've told the stories before I was friends with Roger and with Gene Gene was actually very instrumental in kind of guiding me through the early stages of my local television career in Chicago. I'd see Roger and Gene all the time at screenings. Uh, Gene was a huge Bulls fan. We'd talk about the Bulls. Roger would have me to his house. This is long before I was ever even a full-time film critic. I was doing pop culture writing and doing other types of reporting and TV and radio. But when I joined the show, it was already, uh, you know, this juggernaut and, and thank the Lord I didn't screw it up for eight years. We kept the ratings going and kept the, you know, most of our, all of our markets actually. So, you know, the, the show was, was taped here in Chicago. It, it aired everywhere in the country, New York, Los Angeles, you name it, more than 200 markets, uh, actually aired in some other countries as well. So yeah, it was a big deal. And I was uh, definitely, you know, people said, well, you were in over your head. Hell yeah. I was in over my head, man. You know, the, the taping and the recording of the show and, and writing the scripts and working with Roger was the great part about it. Almost all of it was great, I should say. You know, the, the the perks and the benefits were huge. But, you know, you're also putting yourself out there. And I was aware of that. But until you are actually the subject of widespread criticism, you don't really know what it's like. So, you know, when I, the first season I was on with Roger, a ton of outlets revisited the show and reviewed it. I'm talking the Washington Post, Variety, Entertainment Weekly, dozens of outlets out there. Now, Listen, I can remember this to this day, and it's 20 years ago, guys. Variety, front page, the lead of the review was Gene Sisko would have been proud. And that gives me chills to this day. And the fine folks at Disney were syndicating our show, actually framed that front page and sent it to me. And it was just a beautiful, wonderful moment. You know, not all the not all the write-ups were great. Uh I think I got a C minus from Entertainment Weekly. I know the Washington Post ripped me. And I will tell you this, a lot of that criticism was justified. And, you know, you're out there. Wah, wah. You got critiqued. You're also on this legendary show. And all of a sudden you're going on the Tonight Show and you're going, on, going to the Oscars and all of the other benefits of it. I won't get into particulars now, but I can remember to this day that some of the criticism was personal, had nothing to do with the content of my work. Uh, some of what was written was uh, categorically untrue and people took some shots and what was I going to do? You know, nobody wants to hear the guy whining who got this, um, you know, won the lottery. There were hundreds of people auditioning for that job. So you just kind of take it, you know, uh, people would get mad on my behalf and I'd say, don't, don't write a letter or don't say anything. Uh, I was sitting on my couch one night watching one of my television heroes, David Letterman make a joke about my toupee 
That's no toupee. If that was a toupee, that'd be a bad toupee, Dave. And I almost fell off the couch, but I was also like, all of a sudden, you know, I was a huge pop culture fan my whole life. I grew up just immersed in that, you know, with the Tonight Show and movies and pop music and everything. I thought it was the greatest thing in the world, quite frankly, that all of a sudden I was in a small corner of the world inside the world of pop culture. Uh, Mad Magazine, which I love, uh, did a caricature of me with, you know, giving me a giant chin and, you know, wacky hair and, and a bad tie, all of which is kind of true. Uh, the Simpsons did a joke. All of a sudden, somebody, you know, all, people were reaching out to me going, you know, the Simpsons made fun of you. How great is that? Conan O'Brien uh, made jokes about me. So as I'm saying, as a critic, I, most critics don't have that experience of being ripped on that big of a level. And you know what? Again, I'm not complaining, but I am saying I know what it's like. I, I think I'm one of the few critics who really does know what it's like to be out there and have thousands upon thousands, maybe millions of people reading negative stuff about you. It sucks. Uh, but I was fair game, you know, fair game. I mean, totally fair game, guys. I joined this iconic TV show. I was following in the footsteps of Gene Siskel, who was the perfect partner for Roger. You know, I, I worked my ass off. I did my best. I knew from the start, and this is one of the reasons why I didn't feel a ton of pressure First of all, I had Roger Ebert helping me, you know, guiding me through everything, not just the, the the mechanics of doing the show and our banter back and forth, but all the talk shows we did, everything. You know, if you're going on a national talk show, which, again, was a trip for me. I'd done some stuff because I'd written some books and done a bunch of other stuff. I'd been on some national shows. But that first time you're backstage at The Tonight Show and the music, you know, the band's playing and you're behind those curtains and they're about to introduce you. It's pretty fucking surreal, guys. But I would walk out with Roger Ebert. Made it a lot easier. But I knew from the start I was never going to come close to matching Gene's chemistry with Rogers. So I just did the best I could. And, you know, to me, the lasting positives of that experience, of course, crushed the minor drawbacks that came in the form of bad reviews. And, you know, even since then, once in a while, uh, on a fairly large level, I'll hear some criticism of me. It's completely fair game. But I do think as a critic, it informs my work in a way that a lot of critics I think they can handle it, but I, they don't know what it's like, even though they, you know, yes, there are trolls and there are comments and stuff, but it is really something when, when someone goes after you and I don't know anybody, if you can slough it off, good for you. I, I never completely did, but again, there's so many more positives and I don't think Seth Rogen was saying, you know, complaining about the quality of his life or all the great things that have happened to him. He was just being honest and saying, you know, the criticism hurts. So as I move forward as a critic, I do root for the movies. I just, uh, this morning before I came to the AmericanEagle.com studios, I, I, I tore into a film. The review will be out. Uh, probably we'll talk about it on the next podcast. You know, I, I knew 20 minutes into this movie, it was probably not going to be a positive review, but I, you know, I thought about it overnight, got up this morning, had my coffee, wrote my review, did not get into personalities and stuff, but I'm sure that uh, the people, if they happen to see my review, are not going to be thrilled about it. So I think it's good for critics to think about what they're doing in terms of how it's going to resonate with filmmakers, with actors, try not to get personal, but also, you know, you got to do your job. And I think Seth Rogen understands that as well. So can't wait for movie critics reviewing the movie Critic. Quentin Tarantino movie when it comes out, whenever it comes out. All right, guys, that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Richard Roper podcast. Uh, next time out, we'll have reviews of tons of new stuff coming your way. Thanks to everybody, as always, for listening. And 
what did Jerry Springer used to say? I don't want to quote Jerry Springer, but he said he would say something like, "Be good to yourselves and each other." After they all beat the shit out of each other, but let's be kind and rewind. If you remember the blockbuster days. All right, guys, we'll talk to you later. Thanks.